Welcome to the Heroic Minds Podcast, where we uncover the heroic stories of individuals battling through adversity and rising to the top of professional sport, business, and life. Uncovering the characteristics, the secrets, the tactics to become the hero of your own story. Because it is adversity that maximizes human potential. Welcome back to the Heroic Minds Podcast. On today's episode, we have Victor Oreskovich, who found himself in the semifinals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Six months prior, he wasn't even thinking about hockey, and he had been retired for two years. He went from playing hockey in the NCAA to playing hockey in the Ontario Hockey League to retirement, thinking he would never play hockey again. Then he went back to school. Then he decided he wanted to give hockey another shot, not because he necessarily loved the game, but because he didn't want to regret it in the future that he never tried professional hockey. Five games out of retirement, five games played in the American Hockey League, and at that point he was called up to the National Hockey League, where he stayed to play 50 more games with the Florida Panthers in his first NHL season. Here's the kicker. Vic lost the love for the game when he was 12 years old. Our initial conversation was about just what it takes to make it to the NHL and not necessarily physically, but more mentally. And we then circle back to the start of his journey. And Vic talks openly and honestly about what his mental side of the game, I guess, lacked and why his career was difficult and why it did have so many ups and downs. He took two years away from the game and then came back to play the best hockey he ever played. Through all of our discussion, we were actually able to narrow down what a couple things were that gave Vic that ability to play the game without the stress he usually put on himself, without the worry of what was going to happen with each pass or each play. And it was a pretty cool outcome and one that we can easily apply to our own lives. Vic had a lot of stories, a lot of regrets, and a lot of lessons learned through one divergent yet incredible hockey career. Before we get to this episode, remember to check out truelocal.ca. High quality meat, individually packaged, locally sourced, and shipped right to your doorstep. You choose exactly what meat you want, you change it up each month, or you cancel with no extra fees or no extra costs. Check them out at truelocal.ca, T-R-U-L-O-C-A-L.ca. And if you want to try them for the first time, you can use my discount code HEROICMINDS25, all capital letters, to get $25 off a regular size box or $10 off a personal size box. And right now they have a promotion going on to get bacon for life. So you're on your computer giving True Local a try for the first time. You come to the checkout, type in I love bacon, all capital letters, to get free bacon for life from True Local. You keep that subscription going, you get free bacon every single time your box arrives to your house. Cool. Check him out, truelocal.ca. All right, here we go. I love Hoop. He's a, he's yeah. a good family friend. It's amazing how, I think that's what makes him a unique agent too, is that I think he develops actual friendships. It's not just the business. Like The business side of it, I think, is an interesting topic. Because it, be, and I think it's interesting in, in sport because the business is social. Like, the, yeah. we forget that, like, you... Athletes are assets, but we forget that they're humans too, yeah. right? When when someone goes from team to team to team, or yeah. they get less than their coworker, like it's coworkers, it's people, it's human, but yeah. people forget that. People, yeah, they forget that just because you're, you're you're playing a sport which is physical, it's still the exact same level of bureaucracy to an yeah. extent. Where it's like, well, coach really likes this guy, he's good, but like, 
if I had the same opportunity or if Joe had the same opportunity, if Steve had the same opportunity, I think it, that's a misconception or, or people don't understand how interchangeable guys are at, at, at a lot of levels. Like the yeah. top two or three guys on each team in the NHL are studs. Yeah. Beyond that, a lot of it, I believe, is situational. Let's start with that concept you just said. Like, what do you think, and maybe it's changed since you've retired to now, of what it, how, how the people that are making it versus the people that aren't. And maybe yeah. even that 1% on each team yeah. that is already the 1%. So we'll say the 0.1% that are the top two guys on each team. Like, what yeah. is the difference in, in those that make it and those that don't today? I think sometimes there's an element of talent where guys are simply better athletes or more gifted. You look at LeBron James, you look at Sidney Crosby, you know, go in the past, Michael Jordan, guys like that, they, they were better, but they were also, or they are also wildly competitive. And I think that combined with a, a certain level of physical talent and confidence, like that's how, you, that's how you become a great athlete. I'm sure you've played with guys who are studs in practice, physical specimens, but put them in a game and it's different. And that's where the mental side of sports is huge. The ability to they cope with failure, the ability to, to not get too high, not to get too low. Mm-hmm. Like those are all attributes that set athletes apart. You know, Tiger Woods, you see a, an athlete like that who started to face some adversity out in the public and all of a sudden he, he couldn't golf anymore. So, you know, I think that's quite interesting. Yeah. And the guys you played with, what was the difference between the top two guys on every team you played for, and I guess. You know, in my in my professional career, I had the opportunity to play with the Sedin brothers, and, and they were incredibly talented guys. But they were calm. They were calm individuals off the ice, just very nice, nice people, smart too, very, very intelligent guys. Then, like, Ryan Kessler was an unbelievably talented hockey player. He was big and strong and fast. So you're looking at two very different types of athletes. Um, the Sedins were just so gifted in, in their finesse and their fine motor skills. Like we used to play soccer before the games. And you'd have all these European athletes who were incredibly gifted soccer players. And I'd be out there, you know, booting the ball around. I would just play baseball in the summer growing up. But like, it was noticeably different even between the NHL and the American League. Like a certain level of athleticism for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting because often, like you touched on, the composure side plays into account. Like I, what I experience in even just the, the university level and the pro guys I did play with in junior that are now pros today, it always comes back to that composure concept as well, which yeah. may be the better they are at athletics or whatever, the more athletic they are, maybe the more composed they are. Yeah, and I think that's interesting too. And I'd like to ask you, I mean, you came up through Kitchener and I played for Kitchener as well. And, you know, looking back on your junior career, are there guys who you look at and you think, wow, I'm really, and you don't have to name names. You don't have to name names, but I'm really surprised that guy made it. Or I'm really surprised that guy didn't make it. Like, do you look back and think that? A lot. I'd probably almost say 50-50. To the ones that you knew were going to make it, there were the same amount that you didn't think would make it. Not not necessarily on Kitchener, but guys in the league that I played against where yeah. you think you see his name on... And it's great for them. Like I think that's fantastic when you see people you didn't think were going to make it. That's sport. That's the excitement of sport. But I think there are some guys that... I Some of you never even really heard of yeah. because they weren't someone that 
we worried about on the other side thinking watch out for their one two yeah. but don't worry you know you wouldn't think to worry about some other random name that you've never heard of and yet now they've they've made it and that's just the process of yeah. of sport right so that's the exciting stuff i well, guess i think that's what is interesting though is that you look at some of these athletes who perhaps because they've been relieved of that expectation and that pressure they can just go out and perform because they love the game and I think because of that, you know, there's really nothing to lose. So I, I always thought that was interesting. Some guys, I mean, thinking back to junior and, and, and even college and, you know, a certain level of pro even. Guys who, who weren't studs at the time, but have gone on to have really, really good NHL careers. And I think it's a, it's a combination of so many factors. But See, that it, that's, I find that super interesting because I always think now that I'm coaching university-level hockey, if I would have played, and again, I think maybe we were in a similar set of shoes. I think many people are that go through juniors that the, your, all your eggs are in that hockey basket. So now the pressure to make it is that much more because you don't know, hey, if this passes off or if I string together 10 bad games, let's yeah. say this never works out, I've got a pretty cool degree I can fall back on. When you're that young in the OHL, you don't necessarily have that or no one, you know, I didn't believe my mother that there's other things in life, right? Yeah. But if we did, so now I'm at the university level, I wonder if it's if everyone plays better at that level, knowing in the back of their mind that hey, at the end of the day, this my eggs are in another basket too. Going to your your point, yeah, do we perform better when we know that this isn't everything? I don't know. Yeah, that's what. God, you look at all these different demographics too, though. Guys who grow up in on a farm in Saskatchewan, like you and I both grew up in Oakville, yeah. so very different worlds. And I don't know if the right answer is to grow up and only have hockey or to grow up and have a lot of different options. Right. I don't know what the right mix is. I believe a lot of it can be self-induced where, you know, if you put too much pressure on yourself or, you know, your coach is really tough on you, your parents are really tough on you. There's a lot of different internal and external factors that I think can shape how an athlete reacts to, you know, their progression throughout their career. But... Yeah, if you could find the right mix of everything. Yeah. Be in a lab somewhere, you know. <laughs> yeah. This guy's going to be 6'5", 225. He's not going to get rattled by anything. So, But that's interesting, all these different things that we grow up with, how it shapes how we react to certain things. So let's now let's go back to the start then and, and dive into this even further and talk about, because of your career, I think it speaks to everything we just talked about of a mindset when you're in the zone to want to play and, and you're there and other times you're in a different mindset and maybe you're still there or other times maybe you're not like yeah. diving into that whole process of the game and the mental side is let's go back to day one then and that is you grew up in Oakville, Ontario and yeah. we'll fast forward to your junior career and then so you're in junior right before you make the step to university hockey so how did where, where were you in life there yeah so I, I grew up I was always a pretty good pretty good player um, within my age group and at 15, I had. Uh, uh, that's when you you're looking at either going to the OHL or the NCAA. And my parents were pretty set on me going to school. Uh, my dad was a huge Notre Dame fan, and we grew up, you know, going down to football games and all that. So at 15, had a pretty good year. Um, was playing junior B in St. Catharines, and was looking at either you know going to the OHL. And at the time, I would have been a you know first or second round pick to the OHL. So you know that's tough to deal with. You went through the same thing. Is that you know, do I go to the OHL? It's like, all my buddies are doing it. And then that that's when I decided to ultimately choose Notre Dame. So went to Notre Dame, had all these super high hopes. Um, next couple years progressed. 
as a 17 year old i was drafted by colorado in the second round so things were going pretty well went to notre dame my freshman year and it was just a disaster it was really tough uh team performed poorly i performed extremely poorly and it was just very devastating from uh, from my own expectations my families it was just awful like it couldn't have been any worse so our team won five games the whole year. I had like three points in 37 games. It was just bad. And uh, and you were a draft pick at this point. I was a second round pick. And so what, well, let's pause here in the story yeah. and go back to that, the entire thing we talked about at the start. So where were you mentally at that point when you, yeah. you're now at university, you're 18. Yeah, 18. You're an NHL draft pick. Yeah. And, you, and this isn't going well. Like I'm curious what, where you were in life at that point mentally yeah i got at 18 you know not that i'm some mature guru now but at 18 i was certainly a lot different than i am now and it was tough i, I remember thinking i've seen my buddies in the ohl who were drafted behind me doing tearing up the ohl tearing it up having great years um and i was always someone who struggled i'll be honest with the mental side of the game i was always very tough on myself um, you know, I had high expectations for myself through it. You know, my dad was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty intense guy as well. And it was very difficult to deal with having such a poor year like that. So I'm thinking, why am I here? I, I never even wanted to go to Notre Dame. That's what I'm thinking, which is not even true, but it was like, you know, my dad kind of guided that, that part of my career up until that point. And, I had a lot of other options I could have, you know, I was looking at Michigan and Boston College and I could have gone to the OHL. And I think if you don't get a chance to make some of your own decisions and your own mistakes, and not to say that I wasn't super pumped to go to Notre Dame, mm -hmm. but I started to blame other people yeah. and I shouldn't have. And in hindsight, I wish I would have stayed at Notre Dame. You know, I love playing the OHL and I got to, you know, meet a ton of great people and all that. But um, at the time it was pretty difficult, but that's what I was thinking. I'm thinking, this is brutal. Get me out of here. And uh, oh, it's one of my biggest regrets was how I went through that situation. That's cool that, I mean, we have, we're in a time where I think from what I'm seeing, parents are taking a lot of, I don't want to say control. They're doing a lot of the guiding in, in there, which is great. And you obviously need some guidance as a young individual. Yeah. But when you're 18, you're getting up there and you're 17 or 18. I wonder if there's value in letting the not maybe I'd say close to 100% of the decision come up to the individual yeah. that's playing. So that way, if things don't go well, is that better? I don't know. I'm just speaking out loud. Is that better if you're there in your yeah. shoes and they can sit on the bench when things aren't going well and say, this isn't on my dad. This isn't on my family. This is on, this was my decision. I, I think one of the worst things you see it in rinks around the country and it's not just exclusive to hockey. You go to the U S you're, you're watching a baseball game or a football game or anything it's very easy to get wrapped up in the intensity of sports and, and the idea that my kid's a player and your kid might be a player. And you know what? Maybe he or she or will, will progress and get a scholarship and this and that. The numbers don't lie. And I think that's a sobering fact. It is so tough to make it. And it's such a combination of right place, right time, being a good hockey player or a good athlete. It, there's so many factors. And I think the worst the biggest injustice that you can do, whether it's a coach or, or any authoritative figure, is to take the fun out of the game. Everyone plays better when they're just loose and having fun. Like, that's a fact. So, 
you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting topic for sure. But this is this has been around, and I think it's probably getting worse. I, I don't I don't hang around the rink much anymore, but people are very intense about their their sports. That's just the way it is, yeah. and it'll probably always be that way. Yeah, it's it's. I think it'll always be an outsider thought or an outsider voice having this conversation. I don't know if people take the time to stop. Especially when they're in the heat of it all. Oh, I've got some OHL scouts talking to me. I've got some schools talking to and me. It's exciting too. Exactly, and you almost want to. And it takes away from that excitement if you say, "Hey, you're probably not going to make it." Yeah. No one wants to be the guy, the bad guy. <laughs> no, and it's. I don't think it's necessary to 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 really go in and and you know say things like, "Listen, the chances of you making it are extremely slim." No, no I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but you know, I think it's very important to let an athlete go in and feel loose and not worry about failing. I think one of the biggest things that hold, I mean, not just athletes, anybody back in life is the fear of failure. And just, you know, I, I heard one quote, it was Kobe Bryant. And it was something like the effect of, you know, someone asked Kobe, Kobe, how are you able to hit all of those clutch shots? How did you do it? And he goes, well, I never cared if I missed. I don't know if that's true, if that's a true quote, but regardless, it's a great, I think it's a great example of how to go through anything in life is that don't worry about messing up. It doesn't matter. And that's what I thought was the coolest is the athletes who would shake off messing up. And that's something that I, I couldn't do. And I think that really strangled my career as a, uh, in hockey for sure. Now, this is the coolest part of the episode. So we hear Vic say he's not able to do this. And as this episode continues to play out, we realize how without even knowing it, Vic was able to grasp onto or embody this exact skill. And did he know it at the time? Maybe not, but he was able to do so and it was part of his journey away from the game that allowed him to garner or take hold of this type of skill. And what do you, and that's where, where things are kind of going with, before we continue on the rest of your journey here is just, I wonder if there's a process to get to that point. And yeah. I, and that, I think I would be in a similar boat, right? Like that was something I put, I mean, I went back to a game after what I went through. It was because I wanted to make it. I put yeah. that pressure on me to want to make it. And yeah. I think it's an interesting conversation of what is the process we can get to so that we can play. And this maybe is more at a young age when you, when it's not your full-time job. Yeah. Of where, how can we take that pressure off, off young people and you going through the whole process. And if you went back to your younger self, do you know what that would be that you would talk on the bench in Notre Dame, would you tap yourself and say, X to you? <laughs> no, one could, no one could get through to me. And I, I take full credit. I have to not full credit. I take full responsibility. And I, that's a great question is that, you know, is it nature or is it nurture? I think it's a combination. I was naturally an intense guy who, when I messed up, I was very impacted by it. I was not, you know, Mr. Laissez-faire or whatever. And I don't know. Because those you, guys exist too. Yeah, I played with guys. too chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that sure. helped them. Yeah. The guys I, and, but you're right though, because then there's the whole other end of that where they don't, they don't work hard. They yeah. don't, and then they usually don't end up making it even close, right? Yeah. But it's. It's a happy medium. Yeah. Of everything. And now that, and that's where I think there's, if you are an individual that may be similar to you and myself yeah. that have that, you know, you make a mistake and it eats you up a little bit. Is it some, if you're in that position, do you have to have some, bring something else in that, Hey, it's cool if this doesn't work out because, and that's just my idea of the schooling thing is, yeah. okay, I've got schooling. I don't know if that helps. I don't know. It didn't help me. Like, <laughs> right? I, oh yeah. Cause you were at school. I was at school. I was at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a great school. And one of the things I'm most proud of is it was eventually going back to school and finishing my degree. And 
you know, it, it's, does that alleviate any of the pressures you put on yourself? I don't think so. You're still playing a game. It doesn't matter if you're going to school, getting a degree. I don't think it really matters. I certainly felt like in pro when I started playing pro that when I first started up, I'm like, you know what? It's a, it's a no lose situation. I have my degree now. If I play in the East Coast League or if I play in some league, that's what I went back with the mindset mm-hmm. of I don't care where I play. I'll play some pro for a bit just to say that I at least tried. Yeah. And that have quickly faded, I'll tell you. Like that mentality, that Mr. Relax, it went away. That's cool though. That's it, yeah. interesting that you had it for a bit. And that's when I that's when I was performing really, really well. So I went and maybe we'll get into go back yeah, to Yeah, that's story. what we're gonna yeah, do. Yeah. yeah. We'll jump back in. Yeah. Because so. it's I mean, it's pretty crazy and I feel very fortunate to have got a taste of what I did after after everything that happened. So went to Notre Dame, freshman year nightmare, went back my sophomore year. We had a new coach there who's still there, has done a tremendous job with the program. Jeff Jackson, he's done an incredible job. And Notre Dame is, is, you know, at the forefront of college hockey now. Went back my freshman year, again, wasn't happy. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm seeing people jump ship to go to the OHL. I'm thinking, get me out of here, I'm going to the OHL. So my agent, our buddy, Rob Hooper, <laughs> uh, great guy, um, I give him a call and say, Hoop, like, I, I, gotta, I gotta make a move here. So um, my rights get traded to Kitchener and I joined the Kitchener Rangers. And Peter DeBoer and Steve Spot, who are now head coaches in the NHL, ton of respect for both of them. Great guys. I think you played for Spotter. Yeah, I played for Spotter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome guys. Educated, smart guys, like two of the best coaches I've ever had. He's well respected. I I hear the same about DeBoer, not that I met him, but Spotter. Pete was an awesome guy, man. I love Pete. Uh, Great guy. Went back and played nine games. Things were going well. Blow up my shoulder. So I only played maybe nine regular season games, whatever. Gave up my scholarship at Notre Dame. That's, you know. To go back, to go to, go to the OHL. Yeah. yeah. Go to training camp in Colorado. Camp goes well. He said, Vic, you need to go back for an overage year. At this point, I'm like, I'm not even enjoying playing anymore. I'm thinking about quitting hockey. Wow. So how did it get to that point? I don't know. I feel like from a young age, I lost, I lost my love for the game at a young age. It when was you never, say young, what's young? Like after Notre Dame? Well, before that. Oh, wow. I'd say maybe 10 or 11. So how did, why did you keep playing? there were times when I loved it and it was just never a a consistent source of joy for me. So you, but you get drafted your second round pick, which is, I mean, you look at the list of second round picks to the NHL. It's a list of some pretty incredible names. And you did that not truly. And I struggled. I struggled with the mental side of the game for sure. And I get very down and I, you know, things are going well. I was good. I was, I things, you know, but when things were not going well, I had a tendency to kind of self-destruct. And that's what I start, that's what started to happen gradually over the years, it got worse and worse and worse. And then Affin Kitchener and, and Pete was awesome. Talk about Pete DeBoer. He knew I was struggling and he used to come in and say, Vic, you know, you gotta just relax, enjoy the game, you're playing the game, enjoy the game. And it came to a head where I was just, I wasn't being a great teammate. They had to send me home for a bit. So two years removed from being drafted second round, get, and then eventually giving up my full scholarship to Notre Dame, I'd been sent home. From, the, from Kitchener. Yeah. So it's like, you don't have a degree. You're done with hockey. Like, what are you doing? So it was pretty crazy. Eventually, they brought me back, finished out the year. Ended up signing with Colorado that summer. Still struggling, though. Wasn't really enjoying playing anymore. Went to Colorado. And, you know, camp went okay. And I was maybe cusp AHL guy. I think they, they were probably considering sending me to the East Coast League. And I'm like, I'm done. 
So I quit. And I never thought I'd play hockey again. So you, let me just catch up here. So you got, you get sent home from Kitsch. Yeah, you, come back, yeah. you come back, you come back, finish up, finish the year, yeah. and then go to camp in the summer, sign, sign with Colorado in the yeah. NHL, and then decide after that that it's time to, Correct. before the season started. Correct. So they signed you, and then you didn't end up playing that Correct. year. Yeah. Okay. So I had to give my, my signing bonus back and never played any regular season games. And it was kind of like, what are you doing? In <laughs> fairness, what was I doing? What were you doing? In the, and when you say that to yourself, is that in a sense of what am I doing with something I'm not truly enjoying finally? Should I come to terms I with this? the or? stupidity of me leaving Notre Dame, chasing this NHL dream, and then quitting two years later. Like, it's not a... It was an intelligent. It was not an intelligent thing to do. Was the goal the NHL when you were at Notre Dame? I just was so unhappy there. But what about going into Notre oh, Dame? Oh yeah, God, it, it was, was the NHL. It was the NHL, but I was also so unfamiliar with what that even looked like. You go from being 15 to 18 real quick, and for me, I matured late too. Like I didn't hit my growth spurt till I was about 15. I went from being like five seven to six two in a summer. And went from being not very good to being like pretty good again, where I was going to be a first round OHL pick. And that all happened very quickly. And, you know, I'm riding this high of the scholarship to Notre Dame and these expectations and this and that. And it just unraveled quickly. So I went to that training camp in Colorado and thought, I'm not going to go play in the East Coast League. For what? I don't even enjoy doing this. That's when I quit. And it was tough, very tough on my family. It was, it was, uh, yeah. Could you share that process of, yeah. What that was like? Well, it was incredibly disappointing. Almost, I, I would say, embarrassing. You know, I gave up a full scholarship to one of the best schools in the United States. Um, great academically, you know, good Catholic institution to quit and do what? And it was just like, what were, what were you thinking type of thing? And I think just only two years removed from being drafted in the second round, I'm no longer playing hockey. And it was just, it was very tough on my family. I think, you know, some, some people around me were just like, you know what, do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. But at the time, I didn't have a clue what made me happy. It's interesting here how Vic says at this point, he didn't know what made him happy. Yet he was involved in hockey his whole life. He played baseball, but he was always in sport. And he never really ventured outside of the game to realize, are there other things that do make him happy? If he found those other things that make him happy, if he found other interests, if he experienced other things, would that make him a better athlete? Would that give him more composure, the composure he needs to perform? And my opinion would say yes. And as we hear the rest of his story, I think you might start to think that, yeah, that probably helped him separating himself from the game, experiencing other things. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not something easy to do, especially when you're planning on playing professional sport. But going with the theme of this whole podcast, is that a piece of adversity, separating yourself from a game for a little bit, that will in fact make you better? Is that the case? Well, I'm not sure. I know a lot of well-rounded athletes that are very, very successful and at the top of their game in sport. And actually, surprisingly enough, outside of the game, they're actually quite well-rounded as well. And a couple of those individuals have been on this podcast. So it was difficult. I'm trying to find my way and figure out what the heck I'm going to do. I knew right away that I was going to go back to school. So I started looking at, you know, do I want to... Uh, Canadian schools approach me and be like, hey, why don't you come play on the team? And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I quit hockey because I don't want to play hockey. So that was... I think Western reached out to me and Laurier. And so wait, when you, and when you quit, in your mind, uh, done playing for the rest done, of your life? 100%. Never and, to play again. And so you move from... 
So you've finished up in your, like, I think on this, I just want to go into the social side of things. So you've living situation, you're 21, you leave your billet house. At that point, I mean, I was there not that long ago. You think you know everything about the world now, 21, finished five years in the yeah. in, of hockey. Yeah. For you, NHL draft pick, you know, been to the States, et cetera. Yeah. I got the world figured out. Were you, did you move back home? Did you? I moved back to Oakville, stayed with my parents and, and uh, it was brief. I was only back there for a little while, uh, figuring out, hey, what am I gonna do? I knew, I knew undoubtedly that I was gonna go back to school. Okay. So that was for sure. I'd done a year and a half at Notre Dame um, and was exploring, okay, do I want to go to Canadian school? My dad, he pulled me aside and one day he goes, Vic, I think you should go back to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is, you know, I, one of the greatest decisions I ever made was going back there. Because it opened up d doors for me and, and it's just crazy how things work out. But um, ultimately went back in the second semester in February. And I'm talking like I never thought I would skate or play ever again. So I just enroll in finance and just going about my business, <laughs> whatever. And uh, did some summer classes because I was trying to fast track and whatever else. Mm -hmm. I kept in good shape, like I was working out all the time, whatever. But I didn't skate for a year and a half, not one time, 18 months. Didn't go on the ice. And you know, eventually I started thinking to myself, okay, I'm almost done my degree. I'm seeing a lot of guys I know playing professional hockey. I never even tried. So those guys that you're talking about that's, were guys from school playing school, too? School, OHL, um, just buddies. I mean, Oakville, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's I played Big. with guys, like tremendously gifted athletes, like the Donati brothers, Nick Dodge, Dan Ringwald, all these guys who played pro. And I'm thinking, why am I, I never even tried. And that didn't sit well with me. So I called my dad one day and um, I said, Dad, you know, I think I'm, I'm thinking about making a comeback here. Was the reason to make the comeback because you missed out on playing pro or because you've loved the game? No, I, I, I certainly missed the game at this point in time. But it was, it was, I'd say it was mostly driven by the, the regret of, I got to live with this decision for the rest of my life of never even trying to play at, at any level beyond junior. And that, I don't think, that would have been very difficult for me to live with that. And again, at this point in time, I'm like, yeah, hey, I got my degree. If I play in the East Coast League, whatever, at least I tried. So um, I started skating, and this is Jeff Jackson, go, go back to Jeff Jackson and Andy Slaggard who recruited me. I, I went into the office one day and said, listen, I, I'm, I'm thinking about making a comeback. You know, can I use the ice? So they at used, Notre Dame. At Notre Dame. Yeah. And this is a program I left. So they could have told me, to, hey, but, hey buddy, buzz off. No, you can't use the ice. But they were very good to me. They let me come in. I would before class in the morning, I would hike in <laughs> with my bag, and I had to learn how to play hockey again. For the first time, actually, the first time I looked at it, but I would go every morning and skate and just handle the puck. And, and I did this for, you know, the last three or four months of school, trained incredibly hard over the summer. And then this is when I reached out to my, uh, my agent at the time, Rob Hooper, and told him, hey, I'd like to come back. And ultimately, they ended up getting me a free agent tryout with the Florida Panthers. So you'd been away from the game at this point for two years. Two years. And two hadn't played for a year and a half, trained for what? Six months. Six months. So pretty crazy. Um, but, and then I went on a free agent tryout with Florida and, and you talked about the mental side. I felt refreshed. I didn't care. I wasn't getting mad about anything. I was just out there playing physical, skating hard, and, you know. <sighs> went to Florida, had a really good camp and they signed me. So they signed me to a two-year deal. And that, I don't know if people under, understand that's, there are people that, well, there's guys, I mean, I played with at 100 points, never signed an yeah. NHL deal. So I think there's something there. And that's what I think is so intriguing about your story is just, Thanks, yeah. you go, 
right? You go away from the game for really, we'll say two years, even though you were sk- skating mainly by yourself, which is completely different than yeah. f- flying around and even practice isn't enough to play pro in a game, which you do at camp yeah. to hop back into that, I think is, and again, to be able to do it with a, the healthy mindset. I think that's the, to me, the one of the coolest messages from your story is just, you can go from a headspace that you were in where you're ready to leave the game to one where you can play the game and have fun again and not just have fun but perform at an nhl level but i think that's a testament to how powerful and how important the mental side of anything is like i felt like a different athlete and performed like a different athlete well obviously yeah you know what i mean like it was crazy and and i think that just goes to show you just how how important it is and we we you know, there's more awareness now, I think, around the mental side of sports, whether it's sports psychology or, you know, meditating, things like this. Like, we spend so much time training our bodies. Training our minds is maybe the next iteration of, of sports medicine is that whether you're simulating a game experience or just thinking about, hey, how am I going to react mentally if something like this happens or that my coach does this? Like, I think that that's pretty cool to think of the psychology yeah. behind it. Yeah. So if you, if you went back... And you said you played baseball. Would there be anything you could change up that would have given you the release you had of that year and a half? Like, what was it? Was there something in that year and a half that you could maybe have implemented or implement now in your life today that gives you that yeah. com- that that com- composed confidence, whatever it was that you had? I feel like I have that now, though. And look, I work in finance now, but I work in like I'm a trader, so it's not a non-stressful job. But I don't know. I feel like through what I've seen and what I've been exposed to, we talked about being desensitized to things just by by being there and, and witnessing different things. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I would react differently. Like anytime you're playing a sport that's physically demanding, it can change how you react just because you're physically threatened in a way. Like it's a physical sport. You're tired. It, it's tough to just change your demeanor. And again, back to the nature nurture. Um, I was hard on myself. You know, my dad was a pretty intense guy too. Had he been super relaxed, would I have been relaxed? I'm not sure I would have been. I think that's internal. So I don't know if I would have. When I pitched in baseball, I was an incredibly intense guy. That's just the way I was. Am I like that anymore? I'm not sure. I don't think so. But you're but in a like different said, setting. Very different environment, right? Yeah. But I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's really interesting to look at how different re- athletes respond to things and whether it's just an internal thing. Because both my sisters played sports and they were pretty relaxed. Mm. So I'm not sure. Yeah. It's an cool. interesting topic. Yeah, yeah. So you now you, which I think is incredible, you sign an NHL deal off of a free agent opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And then the next steps of your story go. This is where this story is so intriguing. And where I realized, or I'm questioning, I guess, the idea of separating yourself from something you want really bad, separating yourself from something you put immense amount of pressure on yourself for to succeed at. And I wonder if the benefits of that separation are, one, it grounds you because it gives you a taste of something else in life, other experiences, other things that when you go back to perform now, you know there's more to life than that one thing that you have to execute at, which for Vic would be the game of hockey. The other thing I think it does is remind us that nothing is permanent and that things come to an end. And I don't mean this necessarily in the Buddhist philosophical way. I mean it in a sense that things come to an end. So 
it's going to come to an end regardless. Let's enjoy it. Let's perform free in the moment and not think about the future. And Vic says that specifically in this episode that he was so worried about the future and the next shift and the next game for potentially that next contract that does time away from things like that allow us to realize that no matter what we do, no matter how successful we are, this entire thing is going to come to an end. So make that pass without worry. Make that decision without worry. Because it's going to come to an end regardless, no matter how well we do. And does that help us perform then, once we've had that realization? In Vic's story specifically, it seems like it does. I go uh, start in the American League, and I'm playing, playing quite well. I play five games, and I'll never forget, I was on the road, uh, bus in Binghamton. We had just finished playing the Binghamton Centers, and this was when Eric Carlson was down there. Okay, yeah, yeah. First year. I was like, I was skating around just trying to, trying to, you know, I had to play physical, but I had a couple assists. It was, it was a good game. And uh, my assistant coach, Jason Sapola, I was going to capitalize, Jason Sapola calls me up. He goes, Vic, how do you think you played tonight? Well, you know, Sip, I think I played pretty well. I think it was a good game. He goes, yeah, I agree with you. He goes, you're going up. I go, I'm going up. What do you, what do you mean I'm going where? What do you mean? Goes, you're going up. You've been called up. And it was just so surreal. Quitting for two years. Sorry, not skating for 18 months. Yeah. Quitting hockey for two full years, signing a deal, and then five games into my American League career, going up to the NHL. was It was just insane. Ended up playing 50 games for the Florida Panthers that year. And I should mention that Peter DeBoer was the head coach of the Florida Panthers, who coached me in Kitchener. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a completely random, Pete knew me, knew my game. And, and that's another thing I think is important to mention. Like a lot of your success in anything in life it's a function of, of catching a break. And I think Pete gave me a break and gave me an opportunity and I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, I played 50 games. Um, went back that summer. I had two classes to finish up at Notre Dame to get my degree, finish those. Watching the NHL draft in June, I get traded to Vancouver. And I'm like, this is crazy. Vancouver's the top team in the league. So start that season, my second season, and uh, started in the minors. Played probably half of the year in the minors. Eventually get called up, start playing pretty well. You know, and the whole idea around Vancouver, this was 2011, so a long time ago now, but at the time, Vancouver was the top team in the league. We, um, you know, we go on this, the expectation is that we're, we're going to make a playoff push, and, and I was a part of that team, which was pretty special, and got to play all throughout the playoffs with the Vancouver Canucks and almost won a Stanley Cup, which was unbelievable. So went to Game 7 with the Boston Bruins and ultimately ended up losing, but it was a pretty crazy, crazy experience. And then, you know, my third year... Uh, started getting hurt, I had some concussion problems and spent most of the year in the minors. And that was when I started getting head injuries and didn't feel all that well. That was another summer where guys were, some of the fighters in the league were committing suicide. So uh, Bugard, Rick Rippin, who I played with, and Wade Belak. And just the awareness around head injuries, you obviously know, is, is it was a pretty big deal at the time. And I thought, okay, I'm getting some concussions and that's when I decided to stop. So three quick years and... <laughs> that, that was that was done but pretty crazy uh pretty crazy run wow the the journey of those well i would say four years altogether maybe even five of you include yeah. the first year back at school it, being able to stay up for 50 games and i don't even think this we have to get into the performance side playing those 50 games were you still hard on yourself for all 50 of those games sure. up in the national hockey league and i think people f- sometimes forget and, I, and I've had this conversation many times with my buddy that helps, helps kind of shape my messages in this, in this whole Heroic Minds idea. 
is that I, I'm a believer that sometimes for certain performance, we have to as, assume that there's going to be tough things we have to go through. So staying up for 50 games in the National Hockey League, the best hockey league in the world, maybe you're predisposed, like you said, to you know the, the nature side of you always being hard on yourself. Yeah. I think people forget that there there's people, high performers in this world, that don't necessarily have these sports psych abilities because they're na- naturally not able to stay in that mindset. And you have to kind of assume these predisposed positions you're in. And you were able to do that for 50 games. Yeah. And then do it the next year for X number of games with Vancouver. And I think that's an interesting point that, hey, it's not every time these people that are high performers and doing what we see on TV they're not still going through their own individual battles that oh, someone else sure. on the team might be going through. Just because you're in the NHL doesn't mean you have your sports psych figured out and everything's all yeah. fine and dandy. And I wondered, were there any times during the, where you, where you paused, where you're up for those 50 games and you thought, you know, life's pretty good where things were. I did. And, and, and I, I think that it, it wore off quickly as much as I, I wish it was, were different. That initial feeling of, wow, this is amazing. It wore off. Everything wears off. That's human behavior. That's a human trait for, you know, I think us to feel we want something new all the time. And, I th- and that original feeling of just, you know, this is incredible and, and I'm so happy to be here. It, it, it eventually wore off. That's the truth. Um, and then kind of reverted back to these old similar habits that were not always the most beneficial to my performance. Um, but I think you bring up a great point is that we, whether an athlete is just focused on uh, his or her sport or maybe they've got something else going on in their personal life. Like there's a, these are just human beings. They're not just out there scoring goals. Like there's a lot of yeah. other things that a person might be worried about at the time when they're trying to perform in a high pressure situation. That's why I think a lot of people maybe admire athletes or admire whatever musicians or people who are performing in a way because it's not easy to do consistently, especially mm-hmm. to, to either create something unique or to you know score fifty goals a year. I mean, like that's incredibly consistent. Yeah, I don't think I've ever scored even in minor hockey. <laughs> right back to the Chinkuzi Blues, I had a four goal <laughs> game there. <laughs> it's true oh yeah it's true the the and that's where the i think if you so let's like i said if you're not able to have this this mindset that is perfect for the game of hockey or perfect for for performing on stage yet you can you were still able to do it i think it's something special we're still able to perform even though we have these predisposed differences to other people and is is a interesting point i think not to say that anyone, that means anyone can make it. It's just interesting that we can do that as yeah. humans. What do you think from sport to sport? Because, uh, you know, you look at a golfer, it's so individual. You got a tennis player, again, individual. Then you got a team game. Like, what are your thoughts on the different dynamics of every sport, I think, requires a different approach? I'm a believer that and I think you touched on it, that the speed of the game can affect and the intensity and physicality of a game can change someone's performance mentally. But I also think after playing hockey for 10 years, we'll say you've assumed the risks and you understand the speed and whatnot. So then I think everyone at that level, at a high level is on a, 
a similar playing field when it comes to performance. Now, in regards to an individual, it it also depends on the coaching and the culture and the environment. Yeah, totally. Because I had a, a coach in junior tell me that you know he he had heard by the the bench he did some video in the National Hockey League and he always heard the Pittsburgh bench was all positivity yeah. the whole time it was just positive 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 and this is when they went on their run and won a bunch of Stanley Cups in a row and did well for seasons on after season and so that's interesting because you also hear about sports with individual coaches where you know tennis some coaches are you can hear them yelling yeah. in tennis some gym, gymnast coaches in in Olympics so I think I think you have to be a little I think it comes down to environment like you said yeah. I don't know if right like golf you're kind of it's quiet you're on your own i think that's a different one where you're in your own head i think the other sports where your coach is right there i mean i guess you have your caddy yeah but i don't see caddies having an approach of yelling it's a calm intensity golf for sure yeah but i think you're bringing up a good point that different coaching styles can either click really well with the team but it's so based on you know the personalities of that team some athletes i played with if you started yelling at them and telling them they stunk they're no good they would get fired up and perform better i i would argue that the majority of people do not respond well to that i think you know people especially athletes as they get up higher and higher in in whatever they're competing in they know when they screwed up they don't need to be told that they stink or that you know, mm-hmm. they, they know that's what I think is cool from a coaching perspective is that I think it becomes more about motivating your athletes. The X's and O's, especially in hockey, man, I don't remember a single breakout. Maybe that was my problem. I don't <laughs> but I don't really, like, that was never, it was, it's such a flow-based game is that you're reading and reacting. Like guys that are in the right place at the right time, they score a bunch of goals and the guys who aren't don't, but it's a very different, different game. I decided to bring up our friends from episode 37, Joanne George and Smiley, the blind dog that they venture to schools across Southern Ontario and share the story of Smiley and how he's blind and how he lives and they relate that to bullying. And there's a message from that episode I pointed out and I bring it up here with Vic in regards to motivating athletes and motivating people. Um, The dog's name is Smiley and she just talked about when she brings the dog to schools and, and talks to kids about this blind dog it's usually about bullying and this is this is my crazy mind connecting every episode to my life i try to make myself better so if this is too far-fetched i apologize no. so anyway so <laughs> she says when people meet this dog they they talk to the, the dog's blind and she tells the people this dog's blind so they start talking to the dog like oh i feel so bad like oh are you okay talking to this dog in a high-pitched voice as if something's wrong yeah so now the the dog thinks something's wrong because the dog can't see. Right. So the way people approach this dog and yes. the way they sound completely 100% affects how this dog's going to sure. now react. Yeah, it's yeah. no different than a kid falls yeah. and who do they look at? They look at the parent. If the parent's like, oh my God, are you okay? The, the, the kid thinks something's wrong. Yeah. You say, hey, get up. You're fine. Dust it off. So true. So yeah, that point. makes me, and I know it's an animal, and again, this is maybe where it's far-fetched, but I think, okay, wait a second. There's something big. The way we deliver things the way we coach and i've taken this into my own coaching now and at in university is that's what you say is a little bit of it obviously don't you know i don't think it's as important though how you're delivering it you can deliver terrible news in a good way and someone yeah. receives it like oh it's not so bad yeah. hey, i'm not in the lineup tonight but that's doesn't it didn't really sound like i'm out of the lineup because i'm doing terrible it wasn't it's the way no i totally agree with you on that yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a, actually a great point. I, and I think that boils down to whether it's a coach or, 
you know, someone you work for, is that, that level of emotional IQ is to understand what makes a certain person tick. But like you said, you could be told, hey, you're not playing tonight. And a, hey, you better pick it up. You're never gonna be in the lineup again. Versus, hey, keep working hard. You're doing really, you're doing great. You know, we want you to work a little bit more on this. You're not gonna be playing tonight, but you keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's something along those exactly. lines. It's a, it's a completely different way to frame something and either make a per, to either motivate or demotivate someone. Yeah, and it's is it the interesting thing is the the value of doing doing that of doing the latter. Yeah. The value of doing the latter there and and having that approach where it's a little bit more optimistic approach, or maybe more confidence in the individual. Like I don't think there's anything better than when you know your coach or the person above you believes in you. Like even as a young player, totally. as a 16 year old, when you, when someone on one of the older guys on the team says, oh, hey, nice pass. Or, how or, powerful that oh is. Oh my though. God, you, yeah. you're like three feet taller, yeah. right? And I think why, and I know it's, it's also just the way the game went and the way I'm sure society has changed too. We were not as blunt about things anymore, I don't think, but yeah. it's interesting. Why not go that route if chances are, unless you have that one individual that, Get, performs better from being yelled at. Why yeah. is it the approach not saying things that way? I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, from a leadership point of view, it's it's so interesting. I'm sure, like you you were a captain of the Kitchener Rangers. I'm sure you had your leadership style, which might have been by uh, by example. I, I walk the I walk the walk. That, that's that's a way to lead. There, that is it. You could not say a peep in the dressing room, but if you're out there working as hard as you can, and you know. You are living what you're preaching. That's a, that's a way to lead. There's so many different types of leaders. Like I don't know in the game now, but like you're pretty good buddies with who is it? Lance Lance Scott? Scott, yeah. yeah. He's he's captain, right? So I don't know what his his approach is, but everyone's got their own style, and some are more um, effective than others. I'm sure, right? Yeah. It almost is it the leader or is it the group? Right? Yeah, Do you true. have? Is it? more guys in the the room and this could be business too where yeah. there are more people on your team that answer better to the leader you have or is it the leader yeah. being able to cater to the different views in the room no yeah. oh i think it's interesting even when you see a, a shake-up like a coaching shake-up mid-year and then the team just goes for an absolute rip yeah and is it so much that the coach was that bad it was he that bad or was it just it was stale right the, the players needed someone else to respond to and just that injection of a different energy, you know, I think that's pretty cool too. I wonder if that's what could have happened with your career. I think it was. It was just a different. It, you t I took myself out of my what I'd known my whole life, and it was like I was a different person. And unfortunately, I kind of reverted back to my old, you know, bad habits. And you know, that's the way it went. But God, I, I learned so much for my three years playing professional hockey and just the mistakes that I made from whether it be leaving school or to just being not always being a great teammate because I was so concerned with the next step of my career that it was difficult to live in the moment and, you know, be present. So, yeah, you know, I'm very grateful for some of those those situations because, you, you know, you know as well, you, you play with some guys and, and you're in games where it's like, it's tough to recreate that in the real world. Right. Those types of situations that are intense. And going into the teammate side of things, you and I had touched on this before that I thought was was interesting for people to to hear outside of the game. Uh, on TV, we see teammates loving teammates. That's what 
sells. That's what looks good on TV. And that's what hockey's all about, which generally it is. But you had touched on an interesting point that you're not wrong for. It's just the nature of of a situation in life. And I wondered if you could go into that, you know, teammate to teammate kind of, not awkwardness, but the relationship that's there. Well, I think in junior it's easy because, you know, Joe is drafted by Boston, you're drafted by Colorado or whatever. Like, it's it's less competitive. In the American League, it's tough. You're all trying to get called up. So your success is another man's failure and vice versa. So, you know, even in the NHL, there were guys who I was competing with to try and stay up. I got along perfectly well with them. We were buddies, but, you know, there was always that underlying, you know, kind of hoping that maybe he doesn't play that well tonight. I maybe, I don't, I don't, I certainly don't think I'm the only one who felt that, but it's, it's a, it's a tough balancing act. I think if you want your career to progress as, you know, as best as possible, you don't let that affect you. It's all you can control is yourself. That's all you can control is how you play and your attitude and, that's easier said than done. Totally, and that's yeah, what I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, that's easier said than done. You know, in the NHL, when I'm playing in Vancouver, were the Sedins, I never had, you know, any, obviously any issues with the Sedin brothers because I'm not competing with them. You know, it's like different stratospheres. But for guys who are getting called up or sent down, it, it was. it's sometimes difficult to balance, you know, we want to win in the American League when we're doing really well with, you know, getting called up or being sent down. It's just, it's, it is tough. Because you want to get called up. You want to be in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. The difference, I always joke around, the difference between the NHL and the American League, it's like, it's, it's like a different world. You go from flying on a private jet with organic sushi and you know, someone feeding you tenderloin, not actually, <laughs> to being on a bus for eight hours and eating a cheese pizza in Binghamton, New York. Like, it is, there are different stratospheres. So, And in... On ice wise, what would you think is the biggest change? Because I've heard, yeah. I've heard there's not that much of a difference, generally speaking. Yeah, I agree. With but that. the difference to down to the centimeter of, of we're talking passes, precision, yeah. etc., is actually quite large. What yeah. would your opinion be on on that? I think the top top two lines, tops call it four to six forwards in the NHL are are they're elite, give or take, defensemen as well. So let's call. Let's call it the top six to eight guys on an NHL team are, are quite elite. Other than that, like it's, the guys are very interchangeable. And I think that goes back to right place, right time. Coach who likes you, general manager who likes you, gives you a chance. Staying healthy, um, staying positive, maybe getting a couple breaks, you know, timing-wise. Where And that's why I got called up to Florida. We had a bunch of injuries. Guys were hurt, so I got a chance. Um, there are so many factors that play into you know, being called up or sent down. But in terms of the difference in the league, the NHL, things are happening so much, they're happening quicker. Guys are making decisions faster. Are guys faster, like physically faster? Can they shoot harder? I don't think so. It's the way they think the game. Now, and you watch some of these NHL games, these guys are making like three, four, five passes just to relieve pressure. Like, you lost me after two. After one, to be honest. But it's amazing. I mean, the game has really evolved even since I stopped playing in 2012. You know, guys are smaller. It's not as physical, but it's faster. The puck movement is just, it's completely progressed. Yeah. Um, but I'd, I'd say that that's the main difference is just the way guys think the game. They're thinking it faster. They're thinking one or two steps ahead instead of one step ahead mm-hmm. or a half step ahead. Right. I think that's what it is. 
Interesting. Yeah, that's similar to what I've what I've heard. It's cool to hear from from someone that's been there though, and and accepting that. Yeah, two three steps ahead to think that, and you can almost see it now with the like you said with the top lines when you watch the game. It's yeah. how did they know? They throw the puck into an area where no one is yet, but then yeah. two sec- a, half a second later, there's someone there. But I do think it is also mental. There were times in practice in the NHL where I'd be like, oh, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty good out here. But then you get nervous in a game, and you're not reacting to things like you would normally because there's 18,000 people, and you know you might get sent down. So you're playing a little tighter than you would in the American League. American League, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's only 3,000 people at the game, and it's just a different mindset. So again, it, there's a lot of different things going on there. Right, right. But so when you going back to the story, when you decided it was time to move on, I think is an interesting conversation in itself. What were the steps to? Yeah. Were you again falling out of love with the game, or? <sighs> yeah, I, I, I didn't ever really gain it back. So you during know, that, that NHL career you had, which people dream about, that true love. I know, that, and I don't mean to be exa- offensive at all. Like I just, totally. I just, yeah. But I think that that's the interesting part. Yeah. And, and I don't think there's any offense to, to apologize for, or I think it's just the nature of what is. Okay, I, yeah. I was athletic enough, strong enough to play. Yeah. And did I love what I was doing? Not necessarily. There's a lot of people that perform at things that don't love what they're doing. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Some days I loved it more than others on, on a consistent basis, so it was tough. But uh, at the end of it, it was it was mostly health related. I'm like, you know what? It was the year of the lockout, so was I going to get another NHL deal? I only I only played 28 games that year, or something like that. Most I didn't finish the year. I couldn't like my my concussion was quite bad. I had two in a short period of time, one the year prior, and I just thought, you know what? Like I don't, for me to play in the NHL, I had to fight and play physical and. Didn't love doing, didn't love fighting. I didn't have no problem playing physical, but I didn't love fighting. I think that's a thing, uh, uh, an element of the game that you've kind of seen being pushed out a little bit. But that that was the main, those were the main reasons why I stopped. I mean, I was getting hurt and, you know, do I want to go play in Europe right now? I was 26, I was still young. Could I, I could, could have kept playing, but I thought, you know what, I got a degree from Notre Dame, good school. I felt like I was kind of ready to move on. At the time, I had no idea what the heck I was going to do. I'd never had a job. I'd never done anything. So it was scary. You know, I started working in insurance for a bit, which was quite humbling. You know, going and asking my buddies, hey, you know, you're going to need some life insurance. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a thrilling time in my life to go from playing games, Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals to, to a year and a half later trying to sell my buddies insurance. Again, very humbling. Right. But ultimately, yeah, I found my way. I ended up... Um, yeah, going back and doing my MBA at uh, Richard Ivey School of Business, which was very, very transformative for me in terms of meeting people, um, figuring out what I wanted to do, what I was interested in. and But it takes time, and people underestimate how difficult it is, even with a degree, without a degree, whatever, to transition from a sport that you've dedicated your entire life to, to working. Because mm-hmm. like, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even consider work anyways. Well, I mean, I guess it's. A, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say working because professional sports is. It's a job. It's job. It's but a job. We, you wouldn't consider it. I mean, in it's my mind, different. even I wasn't there, but thinking the schedule we had wasn't too different than the pro schedule. And oh, it's, it's exactly like, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. work. Okay, kind of right. But you think work is work is a real 
work is like, depending on what you do, you know, a lot of guys would have been firefighters or cops. Or, and those jobs are hard to get now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. People, everyone wants to be a firefighter or a cop. So it's not like you come out of hockey and you're guaranteed to get hired on. So that's tough. But it's also what skills you have. Technologically, the world has evolved too. So you come out, I went to go do my MBA. I, I had never really worked on PowerPoint or Excel. So I'm with all these brilliant people who are running these regression analyses and, and building these slide decks. So I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, does anyone want to fight? Does anyone, <laughs> does anyone want to dump the puck into the corner for me? Like, I had no value. I mean, no technical skill value. I experienced some unique things, but that's scary. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky that my parents forced or pushed me to go to school rather. And even then, it was like, what the heck am I going to do? And it took me, I, I was lucky enough to get a, after my MBA, to do a rotational program with RBC. That's where I still work. Where I got to experience a lot of different areas of finance and figure out what I wanted to do. And ultimately ended up in an area where I'm very happy. It's, it's not too dissimilar than sports. Like trading is fast paced. It is intense. The day rips by. You have to be on all the time. A lot of athletes end up, you know, if they end up in finance, they, they enjoy that type of environment mm-hmm. because it's not so dissimilar. Right, but no, it's 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 not easy to to finish a sport and then look at hey, what the heck am I going to do for the thirty, forty, fifty years of my life? Mm-hmm. When, it, yeah. Before you get before I I have some questions about that because that I think is so intriguing. When you had to sell that insurance, what was the best thing that that taught you, or the oh. what was it in that entire experience? Maybe now today, or even maybe even no, instantly, that made that you better. I didn't want to sell insurance. That was in the <laughs> as a person though, and oh. what in that that humbling moment, yeah. what was it that did it help you transition out of the game? Did it make it worse? Did it make you better for some reason? I think that I was. I I, I take pride. I take pride. I I'm lucky that my parents. You know, I think they raised me in a way to. I appreciated that my career as an athlete was fleeting and temporary. So it wasn't like I uh, thought I was in the NHL and I'm, you know, the, the big shot. I never thought of it like that. So it wasn't that humbling in that I'm going from being this to that. I don't mean it like that. It was more like, you know, people admire athletes. So I, you know, and for sure I went from, you know, people reaching out to me all the time. Oh, hey man, like great game, you know, good luck in the playoffs, blah, blah. So it really me trying to ask them for a favor to buy an insurance product or to talk about a mutual fund or whatever it was. And it was to go from that to that was just, it was, it was difficult and not enjoying it either. Like insurance is, is tough to sell insurance. Just generally it's, it's not an easy job, but it taught me to, uh, it taught me humility in, in that, you know, everything is fleeting. You can see some of the best athletes in the world have storied careers who are still extremely well respected, but like Michael Jordan now is not Michael Jordan when he was playing for the Bulls winning championships. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, hey, that's Michael Jordan versus like, man, that's Michael Jordan over there. <laughs> it's just different. Like yeah. age and time passes and you know, that's life, but. Has that made you a better person? <laughs> this life experience? <laughs> the, 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 I know that lesson that yeah. the things are fleeting and they're not, nothing's permanent and that whole concept. Because I know that, I mean, that gets a little philosophical, but I, does that, has that changed the way you look at things or when you? Uh, I always felt that way. So I was lucky because when I was playing sports, it was like, I think because my parents had high expectations and I had high expectations, it was never, 
there was never a level of complacency where it's like, oh, I've arrived. This is it. I've arrived. Mm. It was always like, oh, you can do more. You do more. Do more. So, yeah, we, we, I take pride in, you know, being reasonably down to earth, I guess, or just not thinking that it was that big of a deal that I played at that level. But, you know, you're the same way. There's a lot of athletes who you'd meet and, or, or whatever, I don't want to call them famous people, but people who are more down to earth than others. And there's people who are not doing anything of any substance who are not down to earth. So it's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, true. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I just think that's important. I think that's important how lessons. Yeah. I think it, yeah. it, I don't know, it's, like you said initially, it was humbling. I think that's a good thing to remember that things aren't permanent and not to put the pressure on and instead of putting the pressure on yourself that this isn't permanent so you better enjoy it it's yeah. hey you're lucky to have this opportunity because it's yes, not permanent for anyone it. and i think that's something that i've been trying to make a real concerted effort of even now in my life is to try and live more in the moment because things pass by quickly you know and think you know everything is fleeting things change quickly and that's that's like a i think a pretty common thing for a lot of people is to always be looking forward to something else and I always did that in hockey and it never it, it was a disservice to my career I mean, hugely well what about this next step this next step instead of just you know being a good team guy playing hard and, and being in the moment and even with you know with everything now technology now it's it's difficult to do that to to live in the moment but you know sports wise you go from being a, a pretty important person to being no one cares. But I think it's important to recognize that at the time. So, Which is tough to do in that moment because of the excitement again, right? It can't be, but I, I don't know. Most of the guys I played with were guys, like superstar NHL guys were very down to earth. Mm -hmm. Like the Sedin brothers, those guys, like, all, like, I, you know, I don't want to start naming names, but I'd say almost, I was lucky. Most of the, the players I played with were good people. Mm-hmm. So whether they were making 10 million bucks a year and fans love them or, or not, you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. But those are values more than anything, you know? Yeah. Like, I think that goes back to how you're raised. That's the what environment you think is initially. Important. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, so. Totally. So now today, you're, what are the plans? Are you have any interest in sport today or what's your relationship <laughs> knowing that you had this crazy journey through sport? Yeah. Is sport still a big part of your life today or? No, I would say it's not. And maybe it's just, maybe I never loved sports all that much. Like, I, I love music. I like playing the guitar. I like, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm proud of is that going back just to do my MBA, connected with some buddies there, and we started playing some live live music. And, you know, we're not trying to make a, a record or anything like that. It's just, it's a cool way to challenge yourself. So, I, I still enjoy watching hockey. I think the league has progressed to be an exciting league to watch where the parody is impressive. Like teams are all good. Watching a guy like Connor McDavid or even Mitch Marner, like I enjoy watching the game. Excuse me, I wouldn't say I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. um, enjoy watching some Notre Dame college football, but I don't know. I'd rather screw around on the guitar and do something like that. I don't know. See my buddies and chat about like we're chatting right now. Mm -hmm. I find that that's more stimulating to me than, than. But maybe that's how I always was. I don't know. That's I had this conversation this morning. Is that when we do end up going through these challenges, whether we pick them or not, or we were humbled for some reason, whether it's whether it's well, the experience you went through that is a humbling experience or yeah. any other type of challenge that humbles you and brings you back down, uh, it's not up it's not fluke because I've heard it too many times. 
it it grounds people to yeah. have to need less yeah and and want less yeah. i mean more for that first to want less and then also need like wait a second I'd actually kind of rather just chill inside and build a relationship or, yeah. or talk about some cool stuff other than, you know, have to go to the nicest place and buy the yeah. nicest things. It's, I mean, to me, that's what I'm taking from it is you're, you're talking about relationships there, right? Yeah. Like, wait a second, that's a little bit more valuable to me than. I think you're seeing that though as a, as a trend of that you know, with all the social media stuff and social media is a, I think it's a very powerful tool that can be very positive, but can certainly be negative as well. Oh yeah. And just the the um, the the addictiveness of it, or potential, like it's releasing dopamine in your brain. You get a mm -hmm. like on this or that. Like it's, I think it's sh uh, shaped the way that we connect with people. And there's nothing that drives me more insane than I go with, with my buddies or just whatever, some some friends, whatever, all hanging out. When people are we're all together and we're chatting, and someone's on their phone. Like it drives me nuts, but I'm old. Like I'm old now relative to, I'm like my grandpa being like, oh, they don't make music like they used to. Right. Like that's, what that's what I've turned into. But, um, I think you're seeing people want to revert back to a time when you would show up somewhere. That's where you were. Mm -hmm. You were present. That's it. You're not checking your phone. You're not thinking about doing this, that, the other thing. So I think that's human beings need that. And I try and make a, an effort to, to live like that. And don't get me wrong, like I'm on my phone quite a bit, I, whatever, but ultimately when you're, when you're somewhere, you wanna connect with someone and have a good chat over a meal or a couple of drinks mm -hmm. or whatever, like that's, that's what I enjoy doing. When you are, and I know you were off social media for a bit, you're getting back into it a little bit, we'll got see where that, it goes. I got on Instagram recently. Just okay. got on it. We'll plug that. We'll plug that. <laughs> and got seven followers. <laughs> when you when you're on it and you see the I just wonder what your how you take seeing the all the sports stuff that's on Instagram or seeing NHL stuff. I mean I may already know the answer, but what does that feel like? Do you miss it at all? Do you feel I wish I could have still been there? No, I don't. Honestly, I have no regrets. And that's what maybe surprises people. I don't know if it does or not, but I got to play at a very high level as someone who wasn't that passionate about it. And I feel very fortunate. You know, I, I could have easily never played a single game in the NHL. I'm very aware of that. So from Peter DeBoer to give me a chance, Vancouver Canucks and, and Elaine Vigneault to put me in the lineup and just to be able to meet all these different, you know, f friends throughout time, these different athletes, I don't really have any regrets. I, Look, I'm 30, 32 years old now. Um, I work in finance. I'm focused on that. I enjoy that. I enjoy spending time with my family. There's a lot of things that I like to do outside of sports that I've always liked to do outside of sports. And that maybe made it easier for me to, to, to leave the game was that I had interests outside of, of hockey. Always did. And we go back, maybe we come full circles that, you know, you talk about people who that's all they have. That's all they have. That's all they care about. Whether it's hockey, football, whatever it is. Is that a good thing to make it? Maybe, maybe not. And then after, you know, the average NHL career is how many years? And then you're, then you're 31, 30, like the league is young. Oh yeah. Dude, it is young. Yeah. So you're 29, 30, you're out of the NHL, you gotta go play in Europe, so you're still making good bucks, whatever. Then you're 35, you got the rest of your life to, to do maybe, I don't know, maybe you start a hockey, or maybe you know exactly what you're gonna do. I and don't it, know. the interesting thing is then are you, are you, like you said, going into that, MBA class, what are your values out that are valuable 
that sounds ridiculous. What, <laughs> what skills do you have that are valuable yeah. outside the hockey rink? And, and I'm not trying to discount them because there are you for sure out, but technical for sure but skills? we're at a time we're at a time where okay those help but now <laughs> yeah. there's the competition's insane yeah and that and i and i say this when i talk with young kids the days of of you walking into an interview and saying i play in the nhl and people are like oh my god you're no. in you're in those days from what i hear they're gone oh yeah they're gone in any job yeah but i think that's maybe that'll open up a door for an entrepreneurial venture where I think athletes need more help, more more guidance, both after their career and during. Mm-hmm. Like if you told me, oh, I'm, I'm playing hockey in the summer or not playing hockey, I'm in the off season, I'm working out, I'm done by 11 o'clock. If you told me I had an opportunity to do an internship or something where the employer knows that, hey, he's only going to come in for two or three hours, whatever, like that would be something I think that a lot of athletes would want to do. And it would also humble them and give them that realization you had yeah. post career but imagine giving them that right away. yeah nice i get to play in front of whether it's seven thousand or eighteen thousand <laughs> yeah. american league or nhl i get to play in front of that many people during the winter but in yeah. the summer i get to come put my feet back on the ground yeah i wonder if there's value in that even for performing maybe they yeah. perform better yeah in the number of athletes who truly make enough money to never have to work again I'd like to see the the numbers behind that, but even more so, even if you have, whatever, Sid Crosby's probably gonna have, I don't know, 100 million, he'll make probably 150 million bucks over his career maybe. He's still gonna be 35, 40 years old and have another 50 years on the planet. And I don't mean to like single out Sid Crosby, but yes. this is an example of, a, of the most elite player in a sport will still be, probably be bored. Like what? Yeah, like monetary value does a little bit, but yeah. like you said, it'll wear off. Yeah. Okay, now I have four cars. I still need some value outside of... Just stimulation. Mm-hmm. Stimulation. And that was something I always struggled with was... And I should have been more proactive during when I was playing. Like, you know, I come home from practice. You're done by noon. So what do you do with the rest of your day? And people are probably going to hear that and be like, dude, are you complaining that you're done by noon? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. No, it was wonderful. But to do that you know a lot yeah yeah it's nice until it becomes an issue yeah. like anything it's like when people go on vacation like okay well it's been two weeks of doing nothing i'm kind of bored mm-hmm. I, maybe I, I i shouldn't speak for everybody that's how i am but well, i think it's a i think that's safe to say right like we need we need problems as people i think that so. makes us feel good when we overcome it yeah, totally the ups what, and downs of life yeah. yeah you need you need even if it's minuscule day to day right you get up i have something to do today you get yeah. home you feel good i did something totally so i think that's another thing as an athlete though that i appreciate and i, I think that's what you're getting at as well is that you know the routine i i like my routine like i like getting up early going working out whatever going to going to uh going to work having a productive day having a nice meal like i i know that's boring but i actually do enjoy that i think that's something as an athlete that you can pick up that in the working world some people don't get exposed to that like hey you're you better be here at 7 a.m if you're not here at 7 a.m if you're not here at 6 55 you're late mm-hmm. remember I, that was like that, that's what you learn in sports that was spotter yes was if you're not 15 minutes early you're 15 oh, minutes he's late he's so funny Stevie Spot <laughs> he used to always like kind of mock me but <laughs> he'd be pretend pumping me up but I knew he was kind of mocking me like, oh yeah like a little bit condescending oh cause I wore I picked number 71 which was ridiculous like I thought I was it was before Malcolm was in the league though but I'm like okay I'm gonna pick like a European number <laughs> so he started calling me flight 71 <laughs> just, just clearly mocking me. <laughs>
yeah. yeah. I never the, told him. <laughs> I knew. I'm going to tell him. He was mentioned a couple times in this podcast. Oh, yeah. He is the most undercover jokester oh, I've ever hilarious. met. I got a story about him. So one day, our... Uh, assistant equipment manager Bearcat. You know, oh, Barry? yeah, Barry yeah, Hope's yeah, a yeah. great man. Yeah, he and Danny Lebo. Unbelievable. So, great one man. game, I'm playing with, um, well, at the time, Murph, Ryan Murphy was on the team, and he's a jokester in himself. But one game, which is this is terrible, Murph tried to uh, bank the puck off the glass, separating the board, uh, the benches, the two benches, right? So, there's no glass in front of the bench. <laughs> yeah. So, he's got what, two meters, three meters yeah. of glass to work with. And he just misses the glass, or it banks off the glass or the wall or something, and then hits Barry in the head. Yeah, yeah. So, we oh my gosh hopefully barry's okay he ends up being okay takes a couple days off gets the rest he needs he shows up his first day back at the rink we're coming back from video session on the other side of the rink and we're walking as a team and sparta goes hey boys want to uh show you a little pump up video we made you know we're having a little bit of trouble here in the season let's go in so we all go sit in the stands in the rink like you know how big the rink is so it's dead quiet so you're watching it on the on the jumbotron yeah so massive music comes on video comes on spotter cut the the footage because of all the cameras in the rink of murph Throwing the puck <laughs> off the wall and hitting Barry in the head from like five different angles with, it was with on a repeat? slow mo, yeah, different <laughs> angles with music. Oh my gosh, it was ridiculous. Oh, but Barry was probably just so amped. He up was, too. he was pissed. Yeah. He was yeah. so yeah. rattled. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but that's that's uh, yeah. Sparta was awesome, but oh my god, is he respected in in every group he's a part of? But undercover, he's a oh, he's yeah. a he jokester. Loves the pot. <laughs> Life is. I guess we can conclude in saying after this whole journey. Um, at the end of the day, you were able to accomplish something incredible with Thank you. not necessarily having the approach that the outside world thinks. Outside yeah. the sporting world, wow, he must love the game so much if he's out there playing. Yeah. I tr- I'll tell you what, I, was, I trained extremely hard. And that part of the game, my work ethic was very good. So not to take that away or discount that, but in terms of the mental love of the game, and being able to weather the storm or, or respond positively to uh, to adversity, or if when things weren't going well, I said nah, I don't even care. So that apathy was not good, mm-hmm. you know. But things are good now, and I think I'm very grateful for a lot of the experiences I had in sports, in hockey, uh, and very grateful to have had the opportunity to play at that level and see some of the things I did. I think it helps me out now in life, and um, you know, it was a pretty interesting time for sure. Cool. Thanks for chatting. Thank you for having me, buddy. That brings us to the end of another Heroic Minds podcast. As always, if you have a comment, constructive criticism, whatever it is, a message for me, I always put my email in the description of these episodes. Feel free to shoot me an email. Click that link. It'll pop up right on your phone. Send me a message. would love to hear from you. I'm Ben Finelli. This is the Heroic Minds podcast. We'll talk again soon.